Hey, you're listening to the Jan Hofmann podcast, and I'm sitting here with Christy Falturoso, who specializes in customer success. She's from New York in the US, was working in marketing a little bit initially, but transitioned into customer success only since when? 2012. Oh, got it. Okay, nice. Perfect. Can you, aside from that, sort of give the people who are listening to this sort of rundown about who you are, your background, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, absolutely. Well, first, I'm thrilled to be here and have this conversation with you today. Very excited for it. So my name is Christy Felteruso. I'm currently the Chief Customer Officer at Client Success. We are a customer success management software. So we help our customers for what we say from new to renew. So that entire customer lifecycle, that journey management, our software helps to provide visibility and execution around best practices there. You know, I've been in customer success now for, for just over a decade, so about 11 years, where I've been in various leadership roles in hyper-growth B2B SaaS companies, where I like to say that I've built, scaled, and transformed customer success organizations. So really responsible for everything under you know that post-initial sales process. So customer success, technical support, onboarding, and all the like professional services. So I've had a really, uh, I think, great track record of just really building out infrastructure to support customer success. And so very excited to continue that journey. And my time here at Client Success has been really wonderful because not only do I get to do what I love overseeing our customer success teams, but really to serve the community because we get to work with all of our customers who are also customer success professionals. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. And then since you previously worked in marketing, what kind of drove you to make that change in your career? You know, I, I was in marketing for the first, uh, what I like to say is like act one of my career. So just shy of 10 years in marketing. And I'll tell you, like, I loved marketing. I thought I was going to go off to be a, a CMO one day or a chief digital officer. But, you know, I ironically found myself, like most organizations, right, using technology. And so, you know, towards the back end of my career in marketing, I started using a technology called Bright Edge. They were in the search engine optimization space. So their technology really helped to ensure that my SEO efforts in, you know, for any of the companies that I worked at were really strong, right? That we were getting found in all the engines and it helped with optimization and visibility. And so I had used Bright Edge at two different companies. And eventually, you know, they were a Silicon Valley based company. And, you know, they were serving a lot of agencies in New York. And I kind of always just said like, hey guys, you guys need to be in New York. This is where these, you know, big marketing agencies are. These are your customers. And if you decide to come out here, let me know and I'll come work for you. And so when they opened up their New York office, um, lo and behold, I made the transition over to customer success and I joined them as a subject matter expert, right? And a product expert. So I got to work with, at the time, my peers, right? So I was serving marketing professionals using a technology that I was very well versed in. And that's how I'd like to say that I got my PhD in customer success. I spent, you know, just shy of six years there going from a customer success manager to VP of customer success and practice development. Mm -hmm. And what would you say in the customer success space, how important is it to, at least if you're starting out with it, to kind of be your own customer? Is it something that matters necessarily or can it be solved by talking to people because you'll understand the needs better this way? You know, I, I went back and forth on this a lot in my career. Like, did we need to hire subject matter experts or SMEs? Or could you hire customer success professionals and train them on the industries? 
And, you know, I think after going back and forth a bit on this, I, I've landed somewhere, somewhere in the middle. I think it is, I think it's really important to have that expertise because it does allow you to build trust and credibility with your customers, right? You can actually strategically advise them on how to use your product or your services a little bit differently because you understand where they're coming from, right? You really internalize the pain points because those were your challenges, right? And so it's one of the things that I really loved about first going to Bright Edge, right? Because I was a customer of theirs. I knew their product, but I was really successful with it. And then also coming to client success, right? Where I was a customer success professional and now I'm helping other customer success professionals. And so all the roles that I had in between where I was a little less intimate with the industry, I was able to learn it enough to be effective at my job. But the connectivity that I have with the customers that we serve definitely is much deeper, much richer. And I think I provide a much stronger value as a subject matter expert. So I think that there's some pros and cons to both. I would probably lean now more towards subject matter expertise and being able to teach the customer success motion because at the end of the day, what we do in customer success, this isn't rocket science, right? If you just apply almost common sense in some cases, you can probably be, be fairly decent and then learn the rest of the motions. So I'm going to go with subject matter expertise on this one. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, just simply because it makes more of a difference to the expertise you're able to portray, the value clients are getting, and it makes sense. And it also makes it harder for a client to replace specific software or a specific solution this way. So that definitely makes sense, I see. Okay, so what do you think are kind of the key metrics that people sort of have to be aware of when it comes to customer success? Because for me, it's not a topic that I'm extremely aware of. I'm more of a business development sort of person. So like I know lifetime value matters. <laughs> <laughs> like I know, I know, I know. There's a couple of things that matter, right? Like sure and stuff like that. But what do you think would be sort of the most important metrics to monitor? Because, for example, if you're looking at the lifetime value of a customer, it's extremely hard to predict how the lifetime value of the existing customers is going to look like, right? So there's probably some other indicators that can be looked at to to kind of solve this dilemma, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's important to just split it into two buckets, right? There's going to be leading indicators and lagging indicators. When we think about revenue, right? So your net revenue retention and your gross revenue retention, your lifetime value, right? Those, your CAC, all those things. We're thinking about things that those metrics are important, but those are the aftermath, right? Like that's what should happen if you do customer success well. Those metrics should be really positive. You should be able to keep your churn down, retention high, and, and have a really positive net revenue retention rate. So things that I think are equally important is trying to figure out what are those leading indicators for your business. Now, I won't say that there are specific ones you need to hone into for, for every company because it's probably going to look a little different. But things that I pay attention to, right? First, during onboarding, right? Engagement during onboarding. Are we on track for onboarding? Now, I don't personally measure days in onboarding because I think that that's a little bit different. I think it's subjective for every customer, right? But are we hitting the milestones within the targeted windows, right? Because these early these early indications of are we on track? Do we have a good handle on the partnership? Are we making the progress that we need to? Those are really going to help me understand what the future of our partnership will look like. Now, obviously, getting to a place where we have strong configuration, we've identified what their goals are, we're tracking 
listening to those, those are going to be some of the really important and critical things for the partnership. So I'm going to look at all of our onboarding metrics, right? Whatever those are split up for, for any particular organization. But for us, we have some key milestones around the stages of our onboarding. I'm going to look at early adoption, right? I want to know out the gate, right? This is what we talk about with failure to launch, right? Your customers come into a partnership and they do not successfully take off with your product, right? Because this requires change management. So I look at early indicators of adoption and usage, right? If they don't use the product early in the partnership, it is going to be a lot harder to get them to use it later, right? You have all of this momentum coming off of that sales cycle. You need to capitalize on that. And that all happens in onboarding. So I pay very close attention to that. Listen, usage and adoption, that's going to be an important, I think, metric to pay attention to throughout the lifetime of the partnership. But the reality of it is all of your customers are going to need to use your product in different ways to achieve what they need to, right? You might have an organization that says, you know what, we bought this product and we need to use it for this very specific thing. And guess what? We're only going to log in once a month. But if once a month we get what we need from your product, it that is valuable to us. And that justifies the investment we're making where you might have other customers who need to be in a platform daily to achieve their specific goals. So I think it's important to understand what that needs to look like for your customers, paying attention to that. The other thing that I would say is really big is, is their goal achievement? One of the cool things that we're able to do in client success is track our customer goals. So early onset in the partnership, right, we define what those look like. How are our customers defining success? And we make sure that we're tracking that in our goals module. And then that helps us really internalize, like, are we successful with the partnership? Because if we know that there's two main contributors to a positive outcome with a partnership is one is your customer achieving their goals and two, are they having an okay or positive experience? Then those are the two things I need to pay maniacal focus to. So making sure that you track the goal and you have a good handle on how we're progressing towards it. And then any metrics you have along the way that will help you understand is the experience at least a good consistent one. I always tell people it doesn't need to be great every day, but consistency is important. So are you at least delivering a consistent experience for them? I think that'll yield the outcomes you want. So I know that was a lot, a, a lot of words to describe a whole bunch of different metrics, but I think I think it's important to understand that, you know, these KPIs around revenue, they're just a small piece of understanding the success of the partnership, right? To get a big picture view, you have to understand all of those different KPIs and milestones in its totality to really gauge the success overall. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Let me know I'm misinterpreting this, by the way. So from what you're saying, usage or like usage frequency isn't necessarily the main thing that you're looking at. You're more so looking at what goal or what job is the customer hiring the software or the client solution to do. And then based on that, how does the client achieve it, right? So that's basically what it comes down to. So not necessarily usage minutes or anything like that, but more like they're hiring the solution for a specific job, right? To solve a specific problem. And do they think that that problem is being solved by the software, right? Yes, absolutely. Yep, you nailed it. Interesting, okay. And how important of a role do you think customer support sort of plays with when it comes to retaining customers? 
Yeah, customer support is really important, but we don't want to confuse the two, right? Customer support is a is a different function than customer success. And it's important to understand that customer success in its truest form should be a proactive motion, right? Where technical support is definitely reactive in the sense that your customers are coming to you when they have identified a technical issue. Now that said, all of these functions are critical in delivering success for your customers overall, right? Because if they have a technical issue, it might be prohibiting them from using your software. And and that blocker, right, that thing, that barrier to entry is preventing them from achieving their goals. So technical support, obviously very critical, but we just wanna make sure that we keep those two separate because you don't wanna have your customer success function ultimately being responsible for your technical support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's a, it's basically a different skill set. Ron is basically making sure the customer is happy and receives the feels empathy from the company and gets the information that they're requesting. And the other one is making sure customers stay longer, right? They're more successful with the solution. And um, that's really what it comes down to, right? Yes. Great. So like, what are usually the issues that people are seeing when they feel like they need to work on customer success? So is it basically that they like churn is higher than it should be? Um, like are they benchmarking it against other people? Like what sort of thought process goes someone through before considering to work on this? Because I think there's quite a bit of software companies that don't necessarily have a dedicated function built out to that, right? So what kind of what kind of thought process go people through in general with it? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a bigger, more important point, right? Which is why are customers or companies rather waiting so long to build out customer success? What happens is, is that these organizations, they feel like they're humming along, their customers are okay until they identify that they've got this problem, right? And that problem could be the result of churn, meaning their customers are leaving the partnership. It could be the result of downsell, right? They're contracting their spend. It could be, you know, a series of these things, right? Your customers are unhappy. They're not getting what they need, but they're stuck in these long contracts or we're not onboarding them efficiently, right? There's a whole bunch of, I think, indicators that might go off that say, "Uh uh-oh, it's probably time to to build out a customer success function. But I'll tell you, when companies take that approach, it's too late. The real way we should be approaching this and thinking about it is that you should be staffing somebody. It doesn't need to be a full team of customer success professionals, but somebody that is there to manage customers when you bring them on board. And what happens is it usually initially becomes the work of the CEO. So if you think about a bootstrap, small, small company just getting started, right? It might be one of the co-founders that's saying, okay, you know what, don't worry. I'll take care of these customers as they come on board. You've got the CEO who's selling and maybe you have the other co-founder who's who's retaining these customers and helping them go through adopting the product and trying things out. That's an early stage framework and that that's okay. But when you get to a place where you have more customers than these these founding fathers, we'll call them, can manage, you need to be thoughtful about what do you do? But it seems like customer success is always the last function built, right? You start building sales, you start building marketing, you start building out your finance and whatever else, right? Like you start building out these other motions and you forget that to really successfully support your customer base, you have somebody, you have to have somebody who's thinking about it. So I'm going to start by just saying that companies are getting it wrong because they're starting too late. But to answer your question, yes, the things that end up being that catalyst for change 
end up being those risk factors, right? Churn, downsell, lack of advocacy, long onboarding, things like that. And so I do believe that some of that is definitely probably prohibit, like we can preventable, right? Like we can build out the things in advance before those things get so bad, but more companies uh, decide to to punt on that for some reason. And I have yet to figure out why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it, it's kind of this thing. I feel like that to people externally might feel like it's a little bit hard to control, right? Because it's like knowing that investing in additional features or like investing in restructuring the onboarding, whatever it may be, like it takes a little bit to actually show up in the data, right? So I think it's basically uh, like an incentive issue to an extent almost, right? Because the the result shows up after like a relatively long period of time where it really shows up in a balance sheet, uh, I feel like, right? Or am I wrong with that? No, you're right. And this is why I said when you asked about the KPIs, right? You, you said, yes, some of them make sense. Like these are revenue KPIs. But I, I did say, right, those are lagging indicators. Those happen after all of the other things happen. Now, if a company decided, you know what, let's pay attention to things that happen upstream, right? Yeah. How are we handling our customers day one? And what does that experience look like? And, and how are we helping support them? If we paid closer attention to just a few of those metrics upstream, those would be early identifiers and probably indicators that it's time to get somebody to handle your customers. So if we could get our focus away from these lagging indicators and focus on these early indicators, you'll probably have a better chance of navigating this uh, a bit better than staffing a customer success team when you have a churn problem. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a time frame that the, that people are probably looking at, right? And also because it's an underutilized thing, it seems like there is quite a bit of opportunity and that potentially that can be unlocked for companies where not everyone is doing this. And then obviously, if you retain people better on the front end, you're obviously also able to scale more aggressively eventually. Um, but this is kind of, yeah, I think it's exactly that, right? It's the time frame, And because of that, not a lot of people prioritize this, but it can be a massive lever, right? Um, so that's definitely very interesting that you're saying that. So which kind of leads me actually to the next question uh, that I have. So how do you make sure that these things that are being built out actually will lead to these improvements in the lagging indicators, right? That they actually show up in the balance sheet for a company, right? Well, I mean, here's the thing with customer success. There's no guarantees, right? It's just like marketing. You're going to pull a bunch of different levers to see what generates the right output. So, right, from marketing, you might find that email marketing works really great for your business, but maybe the focus on, you know, digital marketing like SEO and PPC takes too long, too expensive. You've got to try different things. And that's the same to be true for anything, right? Sales too. You try different strategies to see what works. Well, the same is true for customer success. You can't just assume that, oh, we built this thing and now we can set it and forget it and it's great and it should do what it's supposed to do. False. A lot of what we build is trial and error, right? We've got to figure out what works for our customers. I'll tell you right now, in my current role at Client Success, I'm here over two years. I'm, you know, I'm sitting in the chief customer officer role. I'm rebuilding our onboarding program for the third time in three years. You want to know why? Because we keep optimizing it, right? The first one was like, go from okay to maybe good. Then how do we get from good to better? How do we get from better to great? You've got to keep optimizing these programs because they're all going to have an impact over time. 
So there isn't a silver bullet. There isn't do this one thing and you're guaranteed to have success. Every customer is different. Every product is different. Every industry, every market, the economy, right? All these things are playing a big factor. And so when it comes down to customer success, you've got to take all of these things into consideration. Not to mention your product hopefully is constantly evolving. So how do you how do you account for that? If our goal at the end of the day is to help make sure customers are successful using our product and the product is a moving target, well, we've got to be rethinking how we do and what we do all the time. So I think some of this is lost when folks think about customer success because it isn't, you know, it isn't as clear cut as folks want it to be or they need it to be in their head. It is complex. There is a lot of moving parts to it. And there's a lot of things you can get right really right. And there's a lot of things you get really wrong. And that's why you need a team dedicated to watching it and evolving it and changing it because you're going to need that to keep making sure that you've got an iterative process that's going to deliver for your customers. And how can you, so obviously there is, there's always no guarantees, no silver bullet, et cetera, et cetera. But how do you make sure that, uh, or how could someone make sure who's listening to that, that the improvements that they're looking to make are as likely as possible to uh, succeed? Like what are the things that people can sort of look out for? Like how much should someone, for example, listen to uh, what customers are saying they're disliking versus what they think would be good for the customers, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting because these KPIs and nobody likes this answer, but it's different everywhere. You know, when it comes to customer feedback as, as one channel, as you mentioned, right? It's important to hear what your customers are saying and what they're asking for. It's important to understand how to internalize that for your business. I'm sure customers want a lot of things that might not be aligned with what your plans are for the organization, right? If we think about product as just one component of that, your customers might be asking for the product to do something that might not be part of your roadmap. How do you manage those expectations? I mean, here's the thing, right? You've got to have just really clear KPIs. So any changes that you're making, you have to be able to measure the incremental benefits that it's having to either the experience or the output. And that's where it becomes really something you need to dial in. So for example, if I'm focusing on onboarding, right? Like I, I mentioned right now that that is a big project of ours is just to get that dialed in one more time. I am very, very focused right now, not on the overall onboarding strategy and what the output looks like there, Every single stage in our onboarding program right now has a set of KPIs, right? We're looking at different things across product design, product usage, the experience we're having with the conversations with our customers. And we're going to be measuring that with those various KPIs, right? Like, did we, you know, do we have these parts of the product configured? Now that we do, are the customers using it? How many of them are using it? How long is it taking to use it? What does that adoption look like over time? Is it dropping? We also want to measure experience as we have each of these stages. So one of the things that we were considering doing and we're in the process of building out is do we deploy a survey at the end of each stage? Now, for us, we focus on stages and not weeks because for us, you know, some customers want to move through multiple stages in one week and other customers, it takes multiple weeks to move through a stage. Everyone's a little different. You've got to have a flexible design, but ultimately a set of KPIs that we can measure and dial in. And if guess what? If these KPIs aren't, they're not good for any particular customer, how do we intervene and learn why? 
right? So we can start to find out patterns. We can start to learn from the data so we can continue to iterate on this. And so that's, I think, going to be the biggest thing you need to do is just figure out what are those specific smaller, like these micro KPIs that you need to dial into for any changes that you're making across your program if you're honing it in, right? And then being able to say, great, well, this was the project. These were the KPIs we paid attention to. What is the impact that these are having to those lagging indicators over time? The problem is here, this isn't marketing, right? So I can't make a change today and see the impact tomorrow. You really do need to wait a little bit to see what the impact is going to be as you dial these KPIs up front. What is the impact going to be for those lagging indicators? So it's a bit of a waiting game, right? And, and nobody wants to hear that. And nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to wait, quite frankly. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> wants to say like, okay, well, great. What is the thing we can do today that's going to fix the thing tomorrow? And, you know, customer success just isn't like that. So you've got to just be able to figure out what are the KPIs we can measure today around the the efforts that we're driving in on, and then be able to make that correlation to some of those lagging indicators over time. Mm -hmm. Got it. So it requires quite a bit of critical thinking, monitoring the KPIs over time, and then also seeing how these more, not short-term KPIs, right? But uh, I always miss those two up, leading and lagging. <laughs> uh, those <laughs> leading indicators actually impact the lagging indicators, right? And there's going to be some hypotheses and everything. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, what have you seen where some of the challenges companies had uh, in the past when it came to customer success and how did they overcome them? I'll tell you the number one challenge I think customer success teams are faced with is education. Mm -hmm. meaning educating our peers, our cross-functional partners about the work that we do. Customer success is a newer discipline in many businesses, right? I think sales has been around for a long time. People understand sales. Marketing has been around for a long time. People understand marketing. They, they understand product development, right? There's a, there's a tangible output to it, right? You build something and there it is and your customers either use it or they don't. Customer success just doesn't have that same understanding, that level of depth of understanding across businesses today. And so the biggest challenge that we have is one, combating these preconceived notions, right? Whether you're a CEO or you're a CMO or you're a CPO or you're a CRO, it doesn't matter, right? Everybody has these preconceived notions of what customer success is how it should operate, what they've seen in other organizations, what they've read, right? What they saw on Twitter. And unfortunately, those preconceived notions are creating these bias for them that they are making, you know, determinations of what customer success should look like and how it should work and why it's successful and why it's not successful. So our job as customer success leaders really is to educate them break those biases, help them understand that customer success is not a one-size-fits-all model. It is going to look very different at every company. So just like you, you may have seen it in a different company, great. It's going to look very different here because we are a different product. It's a different market. Our customers are different. The personas are different. The needs are different. All of these things contribute to designing ultimately what customer success looks like. So when we think about our challenges, it's that. If everyone just left us alone and we did our work, sure, that would be easy, but that's not the case. <laughs> everyone <laughs> wants to understand, right? Like, and what are we doing? And why isn't this working? Why is churn so high? And, you know, like I said, there's a lot of complexity to the work that we do. And to make material change in those lagging indicators takes a lot of work, right? We're not talking, it's like I said, there's no easy silver bolt. There's no switch you hit that is going to fix churn. It just doesn't work that way. And, you know, sadly, people don't want to wait. 
And it's, it's a challenge. And that's something we are forced to navigate as leaders every single day. So there's this toss up between building and designing strategy that is going to have lasting impact on those lagging indicators, but then also being tactical, right? Because you have to address churn as it's happening. So you got to have two different approaches. You have to have this strategy that's going to say, guess what? In the future, if we do these things, churn won't be there. But today, because churn is here, how do I solve for some of this? I can't solve it all, but what are the what is the churn that I can turn around today and take that very tactical approach? And so beyond education of our organizations and our and our peers, it's you know, carrying that burden of being strategic and designing something for the future outcomes of the business and being tactical and solving the what's in front of us today, right? Because if we don't drive the impact today, there may not be a tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Got it. So it's basically balancing short-term and long-term and then just educating people that have the right expectations. What are some things people can do to to kind of educate their, their colleagues about this so they kind of change their perception about it? What are common misperceptions people have about it? And what can people do to kind of tackle those, maybe even up front before they come up? Yeah, I'd say the big thing is you have to be very intentional about having these conversations. You know, it's not in everyone's DNA to tackle, I don't, it, this isn't confrontation, right? But when there, when there is this gap, you have to be very intentional about saying like, hey, listen, you might not all understand what customer success looks like in our business, or you might have an idea of what you think it should be or how it should work. As the leader of this discipline of this function, I'm here to educate you, right? And be really intentional about continuously educating, right? We can't make assumptions that because we're doing this work, that everyone understands in the organization why this work is important. So we have to be very deliberate and intentional about that continuous education. So if you're not today, if you're sitting in a leadership role and you said, oh, well, you know, I had a conversation with our team eight months ago, right? And so we told them everything customer success is. If that is the approach that you're taking, shame on you, right? Because just like you don't retain everything in one conversation, neither do they. And it takes that confirmation and continuous education and confirmation of what it is that we are, what, what is it that we're not and how we're going to go and run this function. So I think that's really important is just making sure that it's continuously happening, I think something else that's really compelling that a few folks do really well, and I don't know that it's consistent across leadership, storytelling. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? We have access to all of the customers' stories, right? And I mean, details about their experiences with the product, their experiences with our people, their experiences with our processes. Well, you need to, as a leader, go and capture some of those stories because when you're able to put a face and a name and a dollar amount and describe a journey, whether it is good or bad that our customers had, people can internalize that. When you're only talking through data, it's hard sometimes. It's hard to connect the emotional dots. And you know, I'll tell you, I had this story that I used to use at another company I worked at but I used to call it the five points of failure. And everyone would be like, well, well what do you mean? What's these five points of failure? And I'll, and I'll tell you the story really quickly. It was, you know, we had a customer experience where basically customers would sign up and they would have their credit cards on file. And, you know, if a customer changed their credit card or they decided they didn't want to have this prepaid anymore, like this transactional motion, they wanted to be invoiced, they would go to this page where they thought they can edit it. But what would happen was you couldn't change your credit card information because they didn't have a secure way in the system to do that. So you couldn't enter it effectively. So you had your first point of failure, right? The customer couldn't control that on their own. 
And then with the second point of failure, because then when they would try to go and connect with somebody, it would reroute them back to a page that was broken with no contact information. So you had your second point of failure. Then you had your third point of failure. When you did get in touch with someone, we can't collect your credit card information over the phone. So now you had your third point, you know, your fourth point of failure. And this went on and we had five points of failure before the customer could effectively get to the place where they could go and control paying us. This wasn't even about them controlling or trying to get to an experience that was going to benefit them. This was five points of failure on the customer to pay us, to give us money. And so that is one example of how you fail your customers, right? But it's those stories. And I'll tell you, like, obviously, when I told the story, I would get very emotional. and I'd have very specific storylines about each of these, like, points. But it helped the organization understand that these things matter, right? Now you put yourself in your customer's shoe for a second and you're like, wow, yeah, okay. If I had to go do this and I was trying to just pay my my vendor and I couldn't even pay you and I hit five barriers, oh my gosh, what a horrible experience. And so finding those stories really was eye-opening. And so I love those because those are the things that when people hear that, they're like, oh my gosh, I had the CEO. That's all he cared about for like two months until we got that fixed was like fixing these five points of failure in our billing. And so it's really cool, right? Because you're able to take these stories that people can connect with. So if you're a leader, right? You got to find those stories. Help people connect emotionally to what's happening and let them let them be the judge of how we want to handle this together. So I would say effective storytelling has always been, I think, the most successful way to convey that and get people on board with what it is that you need to do and why. Yeah, yeah, stories are really interesting like that because it just makes everything extremely memorable. And even if you look at how humans work or like how humans' brains work, uh, there is a, a bias to overvalue the data. So even though it doesn't make sense and if someone's a bit more analytical, and it might be a bit reclined or not necessarily inclined to doing that specifically, right? Because it's not how humans should make decisions in fear, right? It should be just like pure reasoning, pure data, et cetera, like at least in a company setting. But it's just not really how things work, right? Like at the end of the day, if people being honest with themselves, they notice that like all the time there's emotional decisions that are being made where what they're doing is not 100% rational. They're not maximizing like the economic utility, quote unquote. And it's really about being able to cater to that side of the brain as well, just because it makes a, actually a bigger difference probably than the logical side of things. I mean, it depends a little bit, like if you're banking, it's probably a bit more rational or depending on the bank as well. But it's definitely a very, like a very powerful tool people can use to, to make their points hit home much, hit much closer to home than they otherwise would, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think that you hit it, right? You said data is only telling one part of that. And I think it's, that's, that's really the main point. I think sometimes the data, we we anchor so heavily on it, right? Because if the data says something, that that must be true. But sometimes the data is not telling the whole story. And that's the reality of the world that we live in, right? How do we think differently about what the data is telling us and draw these correlations to actual stories and engagements? Because, you know, it's I, I think those are going to be the interesting points for any business is to understand that there's there's outlier situations, but then there's also themes and patterns that arise that the data is not catching that I think it's important for us to figure out. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, it's also another barrier that people might be having internally with this is that if they're like, if you 
purely rely on data in theory, you can't really be that wrong because it's like there's statistical significance. You can kind of listen to that, right? Versus if there is more intuition, there is more of a, like it's an intuitive decision, right? It's not based of data, right? The decision of based of data is slightly more accurate, probably on average than an intuitive decision. But sometimes you just can't get the data, right? It's things that just don't show up or they're very hard to quantify on a balance sheet or like a KPI report and that are a bit more qualitative, right? Absolutely. Okay, got it. Great. Then how can people find you, Christy? Wonderful. Well, I think the easiest place to go and find me would be on LinkedIn. If you give a search to Christy Falteruso, uh, hopefully I think I'm the only Falteruso on there. You can see me pop up and I uh, would love to connect. <laughs> Perfect. It's with uh, two S, by the way, spelled. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Great. Then, yeah, awesome. And how can people find the company that you're currently as a chief customer success officer working for? Yes, absolutely. So if you head over to clientsuccess.com, you can check us out. You can read more about our product and our solution, what we do, how we do it. And of course, if you're interested in learning more, you can feel free to reach out to me directly or just select the uh, request a demo button anywhere on our website and our sales team would be happy to be in touch. It's a really nice domain, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, perfect. Awesome. Then, yeah, thanks, Christy, for being a guest. And yeah, looking forward to speaking again sometime in the future, right? Thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation today. Awesome. Me too. Bye-bye. Thank you.